Christians have a lot of great traditions, don't we? Especially when we come together for worship, I, I like to think about some of our favorite traditions. I know I'm particularly fond of the coffee and the donuts, you know, um, as many of us are, I'm sure. Uh, but there's other traditions, you know, we come in together and we maybe greet one another, we shake hands, we grab a bulletin or something. Uh, maybe we even uh, bypass everything altogether and just sprint into uh, the church to get our seats so that no one else takes. Yeah, you know, um, maybe some of us do that. <clears throat> Lots of great traditions, we could go on and on, but my favorite, my very favorite tradition that Christians have is how we walk into church, and right before we go into the worship space, we open up our skull and we take our brains out, because we don't need them, right? Christians don't need their brains. That, that's, have you heard that one before? Yeah. Kind of a harsh criticism, but one that, that uh, is lobbed against Christians sometimes is, if you guys used your brains, you wouldn't believe half the stuff that you believe, right? If you, had, if you used your brain, you wouldn't believe the things that the Bible says. Go to the next slide here. A, a common claim against Christians is that your brain and your Bible do not go together. I don't know, when I hear something like that, it kind of hurts my feelings. Kind of makes me mad, too, you know. And that would be you know, one way to respond, you know, it's like Christians don't believe anything, anything that makes them feel good, any type of fanciful myth, um, <clears throat> no brain activity, no logic, no reason required to be a Christian. Yeah. Now, one, yeah, that is one option for us. We could get mad and yell at people if they say something like that about us or to us, but I don't know how helpful that is. I think it's maybe better to learn uh, some other ways to respond to claims like that because I, I believe firmly that as a Christian, yeah, it takes a lot of faith but I think we can, we can and should use our brain. I mean, God gave us a brain, right? Gave us reason, gave us logic, and we're supposed to use those things as we read the Bible and as we learn things and, and understand them. Nothing, nothing bad about that. Faith and reason can be friends, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, so next slide. Today we're going to learn how to respond to some of the most common claims against the Bible, and we're going to grow in our confidence that God has given us the truth in the Bible. Now, it's, it's not, it, a, a question that you might ask would be something like, you know, how can I be sure that the Bible is true? Okay? A fair question. It's not sinful to ask that question. And in fact, I'm glad it's not sinful because several people submitted that as one of our questions for our Ask Me Anything series, which we're, we're wrapping that up today. Uh, but variation, some variations on that question, basically, you know, hey, how can I be sure you know, this is the, the most important teaching. I'm founding my life upon it. Um, can you give me some reasons for confidence in the word of God? So we're going we're gonna to do that today. But we know that Satan loves to try to take away the word from us. Maybe not just to take it away completely, but to undermine our confidence in it, to make us doubt the accuracy or the authenticity of the, of the Bible that we have today. Um, Satan is very good at this. And People, um, people who are, are followers of God all throughout the ages have struggled at times to believe the things that God has told them. We have the original disciples, right? Like Thomas and the rest of the 12, they, they struggled sometimes to believe the things. They doubted. And the disciples of Jesus now here in this place, you know, we have our own struggles and doubts and fears when it comes to the things that we have been taught. So I think we're, we're going to have some, some time here today to go through some of the most common claims against the Bible. Not all of them, unless you want to be here until the Super Bowl starts later tonight. 
no, nah, we're not going to be here that long. But some of the claims, and we're going to have some more confidence that God has given us the truth in his word, and even in this book that we call the Bible. So I want to pose to you guys a, a question here today. Uh, why do we believe what the Bible says? Why do we believe in the Bible? Not everyone at once. Okay, imagine now, I'm going to ask the question, um, why do we believe in the Bible? Imagine that you're all sitting down here and it's the children's message. What would your answer be? Still, oh, still stumped you guys. Okay, um, I'm going for the answer, Jesus. Okay, why do we believe, yeah, see, it's so easy, right? Just take a shot sometimes. Um, why do we believe in the Bible? Jesus. Okay, Let, now think about that for a minute. We'll come back to that. I, I want to I make it clear, too, that in the, in the course of preparing for this sermon, um, you guys made me read some books, uh, but it was fun. There, there were several books, but one of the books that, that really was helpful to me in uh, being able to defend some of the, you know, the claims against the Bible and, and have more confidence in, in the Bible that we have was a book by another um, Lutheran pastor, another LCMS pastor, his name is Trevor Sutton, and he wrote a book called Why Should I Trust the Bible? That's an intriguing, you know, it kind of hooked me in right from the title, right? Um, I would recommend that book, but I, I'm kind of leaning on him for a lot of the stuff here in this sermon today because he has a very helpful way of, of explaining things and helping us understand how we got the Bible that we have and why it is trustworthy. And one major point that he has is what's up here on the screen right now is we believe in the Bible because of Jesus, not the other way around. We believe in the Bible because of Jesus, not the other way around. But you're thinking, I know like half of you at least are thinking, but pastor, the only reason I've ever heard of Jesus is from the Bible, right? And you're probably right about that. <laughs> the only, so how, how, can, how can this be right if I only know about Jesus, everything I know about Jesus has come from reading the Bible? How can this be true? Well, I want you to imagine for a moment that the Bible didn't exist. Okay? Are you there? Okay. The Bible doesn't exist. Would Jesus still exist without the Bible? I heard a yes. Good. Good answer. Yeah. Jesus is not like trapped in the pages of the Bible or something, and if, if it got deleted, then, oop, then there's no more Jesus anymore, right? Jesus exists. Jesus, the flesh and blood existence of Jesus does not depend on, on like the physical existence of a book that we call the Bible. Uh, the Bible, really, the Bible does not validate Jesus. Rather, Jesus is the one who validates the Bible. This is, you know, kind of just flipping things around here. You might, hopefully you're going to be thinking about this for the rest of the day. You know, trust in Jesus is not based on trust in the Bible, right? We don't really believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible, the message of the Bible, because it leads us to Jesus. Our trust is in Jesus. That preposition is, is important there. Is there anything about Jesus that, that exists, you know, apart from the Bible? You know, is there some kind of um, body of evidence outside of the, of the Bible that would cause us to have confidence in what the Bible says? When I say body of evidence, think real literally about that, okay? The, the, the body of Jesus, right? The body of Jesus that hung on the cross and died and was buried and then wasn't there on Easter, but then was seen alive, by at least 500 people, Paul tells us. 
This is the body of evidence that, that makes us confident in what the Bible attests to. And we know sometimes it is difficult for us, right, to, to believe in something that we haven't seen, right? I'm, sorry, I'm right there with you, Thomas. I get it. Think about how many, how many things do you believe in, how many things do you believe happened that you never actually saw, right? Some historical examples, you know. I, I wasn't there to see Abraham Lincoln get shot. I, I believe that it happened. I wasn't there to see John Hancock sign the Declaration of Independence, right? But I, I believe that it happened. Th things like that. It's that eyewitness testimony that's so important that has um, caused the message about Jesus to, uh, to use a modern term, to go viral 2,000 years ago and all the way down. So we know that uh, verbal testimony, oral testimony, has been passed down, spread about Jesus, people you know, talking to their friends and neighbors. You will never believe what I just saw today, the risen Jesus. It, goes, it gets passed down in the creeds, things like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed that we, that we confess together as Christians. These are like summaries, early summaries of the message of the Bible, right? the message about God's salvation for the world through Jesus Christ. And it gets repeated and passed down. And then eventually, right, the New Testament is another thing that has been passed down now. It's based on eyewitness testimony. And so we have all these things. So why can we trust the Bible? Give me that one-word answer. Why can we trust the Bible? Jesus. Okay. Jesus. But we got to move on. There's a lot more to talk about. Another issue... Um, is the one about who actually wrote the Bible, okay? We talked about this in the children's message also. So uh, who wrote the Bible, people? If, let's see if you were listening to the children's message, okay? Kids, don't give them the answer. We gotta see if the parents were listening. Um, who wrote the Bible? Was it God or was it humans? Both, right? Yeah, yes was another answer I got sometimes. Yeah, yes, both. The answer is both. How is that? Because Christians, you know, we commonly will say, you know, it, the Bible is the word of God. And then in the next breath we say, but um, yeah, who wrote the Bible? Well, Moses wrote the Bible, and Matthew wrote the Bible, and Isaiah wrote the Bible, and Paul wrote the Bible, and other people are like, well, what is it, Christians? Make up your mind. Is it God or is it humans? Well, it is both, but it's, uh, it, it takes more of a, a nuanced explanation than just that. This is one of those things, because people will say, critics will say, how can a book written by human beings possibly be described as sacred or divine writing? How can you have any confidence in something written by messed up, flawed, common human beings, okay? Well, we read earlier, all scripture is God-breathed. And that is one of these verses that's used to describe the process by which God gives the message uh, that, that we call the Bible today to human beings. Now, could God have dropped the Bible down from the heavens onto everyone's doorstep you know, at the same day. Could he, yeah, sure, he could have. Could, he could do anything, right? Um, I, frankly, I don't know why he didn't do that. But, but, but God loves to use his creation. He loves to use his creatures to give us the treasures that he has. And we know about this, especially as Lutherans. Well, we love, we have to talk about this, how God uses just common things from his creation to give us his treasures. What's more common in the world than, than water, Right? And yet that's what, in the waters of baptism, that's what he gives us. All the, he gives us through the water, connected to his word, all the blessings that Jesus has won for us. There you go, through water. 
bread and wine, very common things in the world, and yet that's what God chooses to use in his supper to give us the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Treasures given through common things, and now the treasure of his word, the treasure of the message of forgiveness of sins and salvation in Jesus Christ given to people through people, to his creatures through his creatures. God delights in doing stuff like this, and this is how he chooses to give us um, this message of salvation, is through creatures. Um, so human authorship does not exclude divine authorship. And some people, will, some people will say, well, how can the Bible be the word of God, though? It's 66 different books. It's written over thousands of years in different places and different contexts by different people. Um, you can't possibly do that, but, but there is, we know that there is a unifying message throughout the pages of the Bible, throughout the 66 books, and that is this, this working of God to redeem and restore his lost creation. Because you open up your Bible, you're like two pages in, and everything is breaking down. Sin has entered the world. God makes a promise that a Savior is going to come. And for a lot of the Bible, it's God being gracious and merciful and faithful to his people and reiterating that promise of a Savior to come again and again and again and again. Then the Savior comes and does what he came to do. Dies, rises again, is going to come again. And the rest of the Bible is our people um, talking about what this means and reiterating the promises of God, again, that have been fulfilled now through Jesus. It is, you know, again, what's the one word, the one person, the one message that unifies the whole thing? Jesus. Jesus. All right. Perhaps, though, the one that we haven't talked about yet, perhaps the most popular way that people will try to undermine confidence in the Bible is for people to claim that the Bible has not been carefully or faithfully passed down over the years. People will say, uh, you know, there, ha there have been errors made in the transmission of the Bible from thousands of years ago to today. You can have no confidence that the Bible you hold in your hands, or on your phone, I guess, whichever way we read it, um, can be the authentic, accurate word of God anymore. Some people will say, well, you know, they definitely made errors but, but not just errors. They didn't just make honest mistakes. Oh, there was sometimes some nefarious schemes to take away the truth from you. And maybe the and you know, uh, people back in the day tried to twist the words of Jesus to make, you know, these uh, brainless Christians, right, just believe whatever, whatever we want them to believe. So it's like, oh, you hear stuff like this and, and, you, and you get scared. Well, how can we trust it? Well, we, we, we got to unpack this a little bit and see... Um, what has been this process that God has delivered the Bible to us today? So um, the next slide here, the scriptures, I'm here to tell you that the scriptures have been faithfully and even I would use the word obsessively passed down throughout the centuries. Uh, you guys, this will not be a shocker to you know that the Bible is very old, right? The, the newest book of the Bible was written about 2,000 years ago. So these are ancient manuscripts and some at some point, right, there was actually the original, like, you know, Paul is like, I just wrote Galatians, here's the original, right? We, we call whatever the original scroll or manuscript document is sometimes called the autograph. That's kind of the, the terminology get, that, that, that gets used. But you know what? 
it takes a long time to copy those things. You can't just send it to a print shop and make 2,000 copies of Galatians and distribute it everywhere. Over the years, it had to be copied. It was a long, grueling process, a labor of love to produce more copies of these sacred writings. And so it took a long time, and each copy was very precious, and the process of uh, creating each one was very precious as well. Now, have you guys ever tried to copy even something like from one paper to another paper? Or to like, I, sometimes I make myself, I'm like on the phone, and I'm taking like really bad, ugly notes, and I'm like trying to type it up later, like I don't even, ugh. you know. Have you ever made a mistake doing that? Of course, yeah. You, of course you have, you've missed a, a word or spelled something the wrong way. Well, over the course of, of the years, um, as these scribes are making copies of the ancient biblical texts, occasionally, they, you know, they, they uh, didn't drink enough coffee and they're getting sleepy one night and maybe they, they miss a word or they add a word or something or they leave something out. And then, um, so, so you're like, oh, okay, I, I can understand how that, how that might happen. The thing is, though, there are all kinds of checks and balances in place to make sure that one error or one oversight doesn't, like, lose the, the true message of the Bible for, for years to come. There are people are double-checking their work, and, and really, whenever there are inconsistencies as things are copied from, like, generation to generation, um, we always we want to go back to the earliest writings that we have because the thinking is that the earliest ones will be the most faithful, right? They'll be the authentic texts. And it's amazing how, even you guys may be uh, aware of like the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in a cave in Israel in 1947. It's things like that that you find these super old uh, manuscripts and then now you're comparing like to the, the Bibles that we have today and you're like, they agree. This is amazing how God has preserved this even though there are sometimes some, some errors. Now. There was one, there were actually a couple questions that we got submitted into this um, Ask Me Anything series um, about what about, Pastor, what about those verses that have been left out of my more modern English translation of the Bible? Are you, are you guys aware of this? Like I've, I've seen like videos, people, you know, biblical experts on social media making little videos saying, let me tell you about the 17 verses that have been removed from your Bible. And everybody's like, gasp. I'm, I'm terrified now. Um, but it's true. There actually, there actually are, if you compare like your NIV or your ESV Bible, which is probably what a lot of us have, to even like a King James version of the Bible, you have 17 fewer verses in the, in the newer one than the older one. And actually, let me tell you, that is a good thing. Because some of those verses, um, yeah, if we can go to the next slide there, <clears throat> some of those verses were added after the fact, they were not original uh, to the, the, the most ancient manuscripts. Now, there's a variety of reasons for, for why this can happen sometimes. Sometimes, you know, maybe scribes are trying to be helpful, and they might, like, add, add something to uh, explain or describe something. Um, but because the church over the years has loved the Word of God so much and wanted to preserve it as accurately as possible, when they've discovered that some of these verses were not in the oldest manuscripts, we, we've taken them out because we don't believe that they're authentic to the Bible. So that's why if you hear something like the 17 verses have been removed, don't, don't be afraid. Uh, rejoice that actually this is being more faithful to the original Bible that God has, has given to us. Another thing, you know the chapters and verses are not inspired, right? They were added, 
not that long ago, actually. It used to just be a whole book with no chapters and no verses. It wasn't like Mark is writing, well, you know, verse one's getting a little bit long. I better put a little two down and start a new one. That's not how it works. They're kind of more added for us to be able to look up passages more easily, like in a Bible study or in a sermon or something. But I've got up here, maybe you can't see it, but Mark chapter 9. You've got Mark 9, you've got verse 41 and verse 42 and verse 43 and verse 45. Wait a minute, where's verse 44? Did Satan remove it from my Bible? No. It's actually verse 44. There's no verse 44, there's no verse 46. Uh, they're actually the same exactly, word for word, as verse 48. Some scribe just thought, oh, I better add this in a couple times. Anyway, so this, this should inspire you to actually have more confidence that the church is in this process uh, as the years go on to make sure that the word of God is the authentic, the, the, the thing that you have is the authentic word of God. And even our, our Bibles, like my study Bible, um, it doesn't hide this fact from you. It'll have a little footnote. It'll say, verse 44, here's the text of verse 44, but the earliest manuscripts do not contain this, and that's why we've omitted it. So um, anyway, hopefully that, that's a little bit, because I, I do get that question. I get that question fairly often. about What about these uh, verses being removed from the Bible? Well, there's more to the story than just at face value. Another thing that I want to, I want to bring up the next slide now. <clears throat> Does anyone know what this language is? Hebrew, yes. Anyone want to read it aloud for us? No, okay. Um, Hebrew is an interesting language. There, you read from right to left. And this is what the Old Testament was written in, right? Um, there are also, there are no vowels. Like, like the, the letters are just the consonants. The vowels are like little dots at the bottom. Yeah, real fun uh, to learn. Um, but if, if you see up there, the, the word that's right in the center there, there's a letter that looks kind of like a Y. It's the Hebrew letter ayin. And it's, it's like raised up. Let me explain why, why I'm showing you this picture. When the ancient scribes, it was a group called the Masoretes, they, they would copy the, the Old Testament scriptures, and they knew exactly how many letters were in the Old Testament. And so they knew, so when they came to the exact middle letter of the Old Testament, they would do something like put the letter a little higher, or they would write that particular letter larger to make it clear that here is the central part. So this, this, is, this is actually, this is the center of the Psalms. Psalm 80, verse 14, that, uh, that ion is the middle letter. And so a scribe would do the whole process of copying, and then another scribe would go back and check his word, and, and he knew the exact number, so he would count every letter. And if he came to that middle ion, and it wasn't the right number, meaning that he had like either added a letter or left a letter out, that whole copy was destroyed. They'd start over again because it was that important to make sure that nothing got left out or nothing got added to the word of God. This is, this is obsessive, right? This is obsessive, but we are thankful for this that people, the generations before us have been caretakers of God's word. It is so precious and it, it, is, it really is a miracle led by God that we do have the authentic, trustworthy word of God today and we can be confident. We can use our brains and read things about this and understand and be confident that this is God's word for you and for me. Now, I do want to refer us back here as we're wrapping up to the last slide here. Because there are, there are many more. Um, we could do a whole seven-week sermon series on, on all these things about God's word. Um, maybe another time. 
But I want us to go full circle back to you. It is really Jesus who is the answer to anything having to do with certainty or confidence. My reason for certainty or confidence about the word of God, about this present life, about the life to come, it's Jesus. That's the reason for me. That's the reason for you as well. And so we are, we are immensely thankful for the, for the Bible that we have that tells us about Jesus. But we are also thankful that, that Jesus, Jesus is not trapped in a book or something, that Jesus exists outside. He is the very word of God himself. Jesus is living. Jesus is active. And we praise God for, for giving us the Bible, but we praise God even more so for him being the word, the one who saves us. All, all of our confidence, all of our certainty is in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for breathing out this word and giving it to us through fellow creatures. Thank you for, for how you give us treasures, Lord, through, just through, through your creation. We pray that you will help us to uh, have great confidence as we read your word. Help us to cling to it. Help us to cling to Jesus every day of our life, trusting in him, not only for this life, but for the life to come. Go with us and bless us as we read your word that leads us to Jesus. We pray it all in his name.